Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave, him, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old, and Hagar bore him Ishmael. All right. Thank you, Sheldon. All right, Genesis 16. So I know we're running a little late, and we got Phillies games and Wizarding Fest and all that, so I won't belabor this, but there's some really good stuff here, and I hope we can just take a second to sit in it and see what this passage has for us. So if you've been here over the last month, we've been in the story of Abraham. We saw this great blessing given to Abraham in Genesis 12, that he will receive the land and he will have a family. These two great promises, right? The land and family. And then throughout Genesis, we see this threat to these two promises. First, there's the famine, and they go down to Egypt. Next, there's uh, Lot, the presumptive heir, leaves the family and nearly loses his life in the War of the Nine Kings. Scotty read us through that. And then last week, uh, we see that the, the child hasn't come, and Abraham begins to question. and be like, God, what's up? Where, where's, where is the promise going to be fulfilled? And God shows up and says, no, this promise will be fulfilled. There will be a child there will be the land. I will provide what I have promised. 
And so then we come to Genesis 16, and just when we think that our hearers are back on track, now it's Sarah's turn to mess everything up, right? They've been in the land for 10 years, and Sarah starts to get anxious, and she starts to get antsy, and they still have no child, and they're getting old. So Sarah comes up with a plot. What's her idea? Yeah, she has an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And Hagar, um, we use the word slave. It's it's actually hard in the Old Testament because that word can mean a lot of things. In this case, she's probably like something what we call a handmaiden, like a personal attendant to Sarah, um, which is a little bit different. She's someone who lives in the household. She's not uh, like a hired laborer or a laborer necessarily. But Sarah says that Abraham should sleep with her so that the family line can be carried on, which Abraham proceeds to do, and Hagar becomes pregnant with Abraham's child. So let's stop there. How do we feel about this interaction? Ooh, yes. Yeah, cringe is a fair response to what has just happened here. Um, if you want to read this generously, if you want to not totally hate Abraham and Sarah, it's important to note this was a common practice in the ancient world. Um, we actually have ancient law codes around surrogate parents. Um, at times, the surrogate mother was actually held in high esteem for having carried on the family line. And as we learned about in our sexuality class, anyone who went through that, the idea of the family unit was actually much more fluid. So in some ways, this is everyone kind of pitching in to carry on the family line. And likewise, this is actually better than what would have been a common practice of just kicking Sarah out. Being like, you're infertile, sorry, move on. Um, so... If you want to see them generously, that's what you got. On the other hand, this is bad. Full stop. There's a reason this story is the basis for A Handmaid's Tale, if anyone has read that book or encountered that. And we can say it out loud. Hagar is forced to have non-consensual sex with an older man and carry his child, a child she will not actually be called the mother of. And what we see is Hagar is not actually honored for this sacrifice, right? Even after she becomes pregnant, she's only referred to by Abraham and Sarah as my slave and your slave. She's never actually named by them. It appears she's a means to an end, an object, something to be used and discarded. Hagar is the unseen one of the family of Abraham. And when she becomes pregnant, says that she despises Sarah, which is, you know, something that abused people will do. And as a result, Sarah pulls a power play and gets Abraham to turn against her. And Abraham, who actually has the power to do what's right, how does he respond? He shrugs, right? He says, she's yours. She's your slave. Do with her what you will. Not exactly profiles and courage here, right? And Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar. Um, The word used for mistreat is actually the same Hebrew word as oppress, which is the same word that will be used for the slave, the Israelite slaves in Egypt. Um, And Hagar takes off. She leaves the house of Abraham, pregnant and alone, fleeing toward the desert. She is apparently being treated so badly that this seems like the best option, right? Like, that's probably, if, we, if we're wanting to, like, no, all right, should we read Abraham and Sarah generously? 
She thinks that fleeing on her own as a pregnant woman into the desert is a better option than staying in their household. I found this picture this week. I thought this was interesting. There's Hagar. You can keep going to the next one. And obviously that's not culturally accurate. But if you just want to get the sense of like aloneness and desperation that should probably sit on this story, I didn't think this was a bad representation of it. Hagar is the unseen one of the family of Abraham. And maybe we know what it's like to be Hagar. So Hagar walks into the desert alone, probably towards her death, right? And what happens in the desert? God sees her. Yeah. She meets the God who sees. And she names that God El Roy, which literally means the God who sees me. Friends, I hope that we know this God. The God who sees you. And if you don't, that some way and somehow you could meet this God today, this is the God that we worship. The God who sees you. Elroy. In all the ways that Hagar is unseen by Abraham and by Sarah, in all the ways of this world are forever unseen. In Genesis, we meet the God who sees. And this is our good news for this morning, that you are seen by God. Amen? Amen. I do want to look a little bit more at this encounter that she has with God because it's actually really profound. And of course, we're in the part of Genesis where it says she meets the angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord and the Lord can actually be used interchangeably. So she meets an angel or a person or God. It's fluid. That's actually how it works at this part of scripture. So just go with it. But remember that I said that Abraham and Sarah never use Hagar's name. She's only referred to as my slave and your slave. Did, did anybody catch what's the first thing that the angel says to her? Hagar, her name. The angel says her name. She's no longer just an object. And it's funny, the angel begins by, not by telling, but by asking Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Right? Like, this is God. God knows. But Hagar doesn't get another lecture. She's not scolded. She's not told what to do. The first thing God does is listen. And God hears. She tells her to name her child Ishmael, which literally means God hears. So again, the unseen woman, the unheard woman, the one who is just used and abused and discarded is seen and heard by God.
And God redeems her story, right? This child who is born out of abuse and neglect. She says he'll grow up to, the, the angel says he'll grow up to be a great man and he'll grow up to have a great family of his own. And like Abraham, his descendants will be too numerous to count. And it's funny, there's this weird blessing. I've always thought it was kind of this weird, backhanded, somewhat negative blessing. What does Ishmael, what does the angel say that Ishmael will become? Anyone who grew up in the, the church probably knows this. Uh, this yeah, yes. As for some reason, it's re- I rarely translate as wild donkey, a wild ass of a man, right? I always assumed that was an insult. Apparently, a wild donkey is actually a really like proud and strong creature that can't be tamed. And if we know who the descendants of Ishmael are, the descendants of Ishmael are the desert nomads. That's who the Ishmaelites become, the Bedouins. So, like... People conquer cities, right? People conquer kings. People conquer empires. Like, all of those things get conquered by other people. You know who doesn't get conquered by other people? These guys. It's actually too difficult. Right? Like, you actually can't bring your army out to the desert and try and conquer these guys. So this is actually kind of this profound blessing of, like, you will be people who will not be conquered. And this is a promise given to Hagar's descendants, right? Just as you have been oppressed and mistreated by Abraham and Sarah, your descendants, your child's descendants, will not be. They will actually be people who will be unconquered, who will be free. So God redeems this child born in all, all the wrong ways and promises deliverance from oppression for her family and for her family line. And God allows Hagar to name him? Did you know that in the entire Bible, Hagar is the only person who gives God a name? Not a king, not a priest, not a prophet, but Hagar, the Egyptian slave. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And who do we let name us, right? People we like, people we love, people we have let into our intimate space. This isn't like a functional transaction that happens, right? God intertwines himself with her. God involves himself with her. God bears her mark on himself. We can pretty easily put the Christ story on top of this. God doesn't stand far off. He's not the cosmic watchmaker. He enters in and receives from her and bears her mark on himself. And that's the name, this is the name that she gives to God. Elroy, you are the God who sees me. How does that feel to you? I imagine it's a little bit like it is well with my soul. You can receive that on a pretty like trite sentimental level. And in fact, it could be used in kind of a dismissive way of like, you're suffering injustice, but God sees you, right? Like, Or we can receive it, like, down there on that deep, cosmic, full level. 
that God sees you, that God is near you, that this is not, the Hebrew word is not just physically sees, right? It entails everything we've seen, that God is with you, that God knows you, that God hears, that God loves you. And God sends her back to be with Abraham and Sarah. This, this can feel a little bit confusing, um, and it might feel like it's the, like, that cheap version of God sees you, of like, hey, sorry you're suffering, but God sees you. Um, but it should be said, first of all, she's a pregnant woman walking alone in the desert, so this might actually be for her own survival that she is sent back. But she is sent back with a promise, right? She's sent back that she has seen, that she has known, that she has loved, that she's protected, that her child will be protected, right? That, like, she will be okay, and her child will be okay, and they will be delivered. She is no longer alone and unseen in the family of Abraham. In fact, we even see Abraham in the next chapter will we'll be like, God, can Ishmael be the heir? So, like, we don't know whether Sarah ever warms up to Ishmael, but we actually see uh, quite a number of things to say Abraham actually receives the child when he comes back. So Hagar is no longer alone. And no longer unseen in the family of Abraham. Even if Sarah continues to oppress her, she is not defined by that. She is known by name by the living God. She is protected. She is cared for. She is safe. She is seen by God. Hagar can go back knowing she is not the object that has been discarded. She is the one who is seen by the living God. And you are too. So it's important when we read narrative to kind of put ourselves in the story. And there's three different ways we can do that. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the first is probably the most obvious one. Where are you, Hagar? Where can you relate to this marginalized woman who has been used and discarded? has been objectified and dismissed. I don't mean to push into all our deepest wounds. You know, this is like, I know we're in a, but if you can find a space to do so, like, this is a story for you. And if you need someone to connect to in the biblical story, like Hagar is here for you. Um, she is the one who is abused. She is the one who is assaulted. She is the one. She is the Me Too saint, if you will. And I know for myself, in a week where things were nuts, I did try to live in this mantra a little bit. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. And yet I also had to remind myself that this story goes deeper than like bad fortune or a spare tire or like a busted tire. It actually, I actually had to sit in it a little bit deeper to like where are the places that I actually have felt abused or mistreated or taken advantage of or objectified. And it takes some work to, to let God into those spaces, right? But to know that God sees you. God hears you. God stops 
the lecturing and lessons. God is there with you. So I invite you, if you're able, either this morning or this week, if you can, do that work. Let God into those spaces and know that God is the God who sees you. But it's also worth asking where else we can see ourselves in this story. Not just where are we Hagar, but honestly, where can we be the angel? The reality is each of us probably encounters a Hagar every day and doesn't see them. That's the nature of being Hagar, to be unseen. And there's a calling in this story to be that angel, to see folks. And I don't even always know what that means. It might just be actually making eye contact. It might literally just be making eye contact with the person who is being used and abused and discarded. It might be knowing their name in the way the angel knows Hagar's name. It might just be seeing them as a human being that nobody else is. By all means, if you can, of course, provide physical help but like that never negates the, this calling as well. See the person who's in front of you. See the unseen one. And lastly, this one should sting a little bit if we're willing to do the work. But where are we Abraham and Sarah in this story? Where have we abused and discarded others? Where have we allowed someone else to become an object? Where have we allowed someone else to become your slave or my slave rather than Hagar? Where have we used someone, maybe even for a noble goal, but then just let them be a means to an end rather than a human being? Where have we been Abraham? The one who could do something about it, who just kind of shrugs. The reality is, in every way we're Abraham, passivity benefits us. The status quo benefits us. And the calling of Scripture is to not just be Abraham, not just be the patriarch who just shrugs at injustice. Your homework this week is to realize that the Hagars in your life are seen by God. That person that maybe you're frustrated with, that person that maybe you objectify, that person that you're using as a means to an end, I invite you to go out this week and remember that God sees them. And if you can, try and stay in that mode. God sees them. Again, I said this before, it's worth noting, like, Hagar, it's, there's this line about her despising Sarah. Sometimes the Hagars in your life might be frustrating, broken, hard to deal with people because they've experienced trauma. So that doesn't, you know, I don't want to be rosy about that um, and just sentimental about that. Sometimes things do need to be addressed and corrected, but first remember that God sees them and let that soften you and changed your posture towards them and realized that they are alive.
Okay. In conclusion, it's remarkable we have this story, right? That this is part of scripture. Because history is literally littered with millions and not billions of Hagars. And you know how often their story is told? Almost never. But God sees. God is the one who sees. And it's a reminder that our God is different than the ways of this world. And our story is different. And that we are meant to be people who are different. We are not called to be the Abrahams here and shrug our way through history and just say, eh. That's just how it's always been. We're called to be people who see, who build communities where all people are seen. We're called to be lights in our community and to go out into our jobs and into our neighborhoods and make sure that everyone, no matter how lowly, is seen. And we are called to be people who are no longer hidden in shame the people who are fully and completely seen by God. So I invite you to be seen by the living God. God sees you. God hears you. God will even let you name him. God loves you very To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.